This audio program is a ministry of Clear Note Fellowship. For more information, go to clearnotefellowship.org. Good morning. Well, this is a weird conference this year in some ways because it's mainly a doctrinal conference. And this is kind of new for us. In past years, that hasn't been really the main thrust. Evangelical is a doctrinal term. It's not primarily a cultural term. It's not primarily a political term. It's not primarily a, uh, an ecclesiastical term. It has all those kinds of connotations to it. But primarily, it's a doctrinal term. It really points to non-negotiable doctrinal commitments. So the cross last night, the new birth today, right now, um, the Holy Spirit, the church later today, all of that is doctrine, built on the doctrine of Scripture as the Word of God. And we must cultivate doctrinal interest and precision. We have to do this. We need to be patient with sound doctrine. Not so that we can all become eggheads and academics. But if we ignore doctrine, if we ignore doctrine with hard edges and straight lines and solidity, then we will lose the truth and we will have nothing to hand down to our children or over to our neighbors. So this morning, I will talk to you about a doctrine, the doctrine of the new birth, or the doctrine of regeneration. To be born again is to be regenerate. Now, regeneration is not justification. Justification is another doctrine, it's something that God does outside of you. It's a legal declaration about you, not guilty, righteous. That's justification. Not so with regeneration. Regeneration is something that God does to you. And regeneration is not sanctification. Sanctification is a process by which God works in you to make you more and more like Jesus. And sanctification is a process in which you are active. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. You put to death whatever is earthly in you. You stop sinning and pursue righteousness. But not so with regeneration. With regeneration, you are passive. You are as passive as you were the first time you were born. You were born. You didn't bear yourself. Something happened to you. You were acted upon. And so these things, all these things are distinct, but they're never separate. If you're justified, then you have been regenerated, born again. If you've been born again, then you will be sanctified. Now, where does the Word of God teach us about these things? Well, in all kinds of places, but we could do no better 
really, than looking at Jesus' words to Nicodemus in John 3. Open up with me to John chapter 3, or you can look on the screen behind me. Let's read verses 1 to 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. This is the word of the Lord. So, what is an evangelical? An evangelical believes in John 3.16, right? Absolutely. But there's more to this passage than just one verse. The foundation of John 3.16 is Jesus' words about the new birth. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the teacher of Israel, comes to Jesus by night and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. This, is, this seems like a profession of faith of sorts, doesn't it? At least, at least Nicodemus doesn't seem hostile to Jesus like the rest of the Pharisees do. 
sure he comes by night. And so he's afraid of being seen with Jesus. But later in the book of John, Nicodemus stands up for Jesus before the Pharisees in John chapter 7. It's a, it's a pretty pitiful defense, but he does it. It's public, it's not at night. John 7, this is what Nicodemus says. Nicodemus, this is what John says about it. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, said to the Pharisees, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears him and knows what he is doing, does it? It's kind of a pitiful defense. It's like, you guys, you you really, you sure? Do you know what he's actually saying? And they answered him, you're not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Shut up and sit down. But at least it was public. And then later, at the end of John, Nicodemus comes and brings 100 pounds of spices to embalm, to prepare Jesus' body for burial after the crucifixion. John makes sure to point out who this Nicodemus is so we make sure that we got the right guy. John says, he is Nicodemus who had first come to Jesus by night. Same guy. So he comes to him by night, then he stands up for him kind of publicly, and then by the end of John, he's, he's all in. He's bringing 100 pounds of spices to embalm him. So obviously there's some kind of progression with Nicodemus, some kind of change. First, a secret interest, then a public defense, finally identifying with our Lord in his death. What's going on with him? What happened to him? Jesus tells us what happened to Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus was made able to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was born again. But what does that even mean? Well, it doesn't mean entering a second time into your mother's womb. We know that much. That's what Nicodemus thought at first. Jesus isn't talking about physical birth 2.0, you know. This new birth is a lot like physical birth, but it's not. It's not it. So what is it? What does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus sure doesn't get it. Nicodemus acts like this is some new, bizarre concept made up by this rabbi, this teacher from Galilee. But no, this is all through the Old Testament, and Nicodemus should have known all about this. He should have taught his sheep, you must be born again. Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Really? For example, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. That's the new birth. A change of heart so that you will love the Lord. Or Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20. God says, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh 
and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. Change of heart. This is what it means to be born again. Or Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You see this? That is what it means to be born again. It means to have your heart circumcised. It means to have your hard heart of stone taken out and a new soft heart put in. It means to have a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, within you. This is what God has always promised to do with his people and Nicodemus should have known this. Yeah, but what is it? What happens? Lay it out for me. Let me dissect it and analyze it and understand it. What is it to be born again? How does it happen? Well, what does Jesus say to that? Back in John 3, what does he say? He says, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. How does it happen? What exactly is it? We don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. It's like the wind. And trying to nail down how the new, new birth happens with ironclad, rigid theological, theological formulas is just as vain as trying to chase the wind. But we know when the wind is blowing. We can feel it, see its effects. And just like knowing when it's windy, we can know when the Holy Spirit has blown through a soul and given it new life. There are results, there are effects. So what are the results of being born again? The Bible talks a whole lot more about the results of being born again than it does the process or the mechanics of being born again. How it happens is a mystery. It's like the wind, but the results of it are crystal clear. I want to show you some of them. Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. You can turn to it. You can look at it on the board, the screen. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death 
so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is, ne- is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This is what it means to be born again. Or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So what it means to be born again is to be created, recreated for good works. Ephesians 5, 1 to 8. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now, what? You are light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. Colossians 1.13, 
for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians 2, 11. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Exactly what Deuteronomy said. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which is hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And one more, Titus 3. 3 to 7. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of, our, of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. These are the results of being born again. Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That's what it means to be born again. We are freed from sin. We are dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are made alive together with Christ and raised up with him. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were formerly darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. We were rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of the flesh, buried with him in baptism, raised up with him through faith and the working of God saved by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That is what being born again does to you. A complete and radical change. This is what it means to be born again. And that radical change, that death to life, makes you able and willing to walk in newness of life. This is what Scripture says over and over again. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You're born again, raised from the dead. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Walk as children of light. Any teaching that says being born again does not necessarily result in new life, new obedience, new power against sin. Any teaching that says you can be born again, no big deal, and yet remain in bondage to your sins and lusts, remain in bondage to darkness and the works of the flesh, any of that is a lie. 
Because when God causes you to be born again by his Holy Spirit, it is an act of new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. It's regeneration, it's new life. And because you are a new creature, you are able to obey God's commandments. And this is exactly what we just saw in the Old Testament. This is nothing new. This shouldn't surprise anyone. Should not have surprised Nicodemus. Ezekiel 36, I read it to you a second ago, but listen to it again. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I'm going to make you do it. I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is what God says. This is what he's doing. This is the result of being born again. Obedience to God. So is that legalism? Is it legalism to say that the Holy Spirit will cause you to walk in his statutes and make you careful to observe his ordinances? No. It's not legalism to say what God says. This is what God says. I will give you my Holy Spirit. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will make you careful to obey my ordinances. How can that be legalism? Is that bondage? No. Brothers and sisters, this is freedom. This is life. This is eternal life that Jesus is talking about in John 3. Now, there are two dangerous and deceptive strains of teaching and ways of thinking that deny all of this. One is hyper-grace, and the other one, for lack of a better term, because I just made it up, is hyper-depravity. Hyper-grace and hyper-depravity. Hyper-grace says that Christians are not expected or required to obey God. It's all of grace. Obedience is optional. Um, If you start thinking about obedience, that equals being a legalist. This teaching is all over the place, everywhere, even in the Reformed world, which is a complete denial of what the Reformation has always taught. It leaves you with no power to obey God. No hope for it, no expectation for it. Hyper-depravity, again, for lack of a better term, I believe in total depravity, but that's not what I'm talking about. Hyper-depravity says that Christians are not able to obey God. So hyper-grace says Christians are not expected or required to obey God. Hyper-depravity says, even as a Christian, you're not able to do it. Anyway, you're still totally depraved. You don't have the the ability to obey God. You will always be in bondage to your sin. Both are wrong. Both 
are destructive to your soul. Both misrepresent the reality of regeneration. Both end up saying that regeneration doesn't really do anything. Being born again doesn't really change you after all, but that's a lie. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. It's a passage that destroys both hyper-grace and hyper-depravity in one little paragraph. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, when the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived, what does that mean? That means people are trying to deceive you. Watch out. And this is hyper-grace. Hyper-grace says, no, 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 it's all right. You should celebrate your fornication, your idolatry, your adultery, your effeminacy, your homosexuality. It's all right your thievery, your covetousness. But look what he says. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I read this passage. I was in a meeting with a person uh, who struggles with one of these sins, actually, That's the problem, not so much of a struggle, (laughs) but an acceptance of one of these sins. And you can guess which one it was. And I read this, and I said, you know what? I show up on this list five, six, seven, eight times. My sins. You know? And if I give myself to these sins, what does Scripture say? I will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't let anyone lie to you. And don't you lie to anyone else about this. Don't be deceived. It's not okay. You can't give yourself to these sins, claim to be a Christian, and claim to inherit the kingdom of God. Right? No hyper-grace, no perversion of grace that is an excuse for licentiousness. What about on the other hand? Look what he says. Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Notice the past tense. Such were some of you. What does that mean? That means you've been changed. It means you're fighting against these things with the power of the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Do you have any hope for that? Do you have any expectation for that? Have you, there's two ways to wave the the truce flag to your sin, right? One of them is to say, it's okay. 
doesn't matter, do whatever I want. The other way is to say, it's hopeless, I give up. It's awful, but it's hopeless. And both, both are wrong. Both deny the reality of the new birth. So here's what being born again does to you. Gives you new life, gives you power over sin, enables you to walk with God, gives you the ability to kill your sin. And no, that does not mean that Christians don't sin. It does not mean that Christians can be sinlessly perfect. You will always do battle with sin until the day you die. Even as one who's been born again, even as one who has a new heart, even as one who has the Holy Spirit. But now you have the power of God to fight your sin. That's the difference. You are what God says you are, dead to sin and alive to God. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave to God. And sin shall not be master over you because you're not under law but under grace. And grace is power. The power of God to fight your sin and to kill your sin. The power of the Holy Spirit fighting within you. And if you deny that reality, then you deny the new birth. And guess what? You're not an evangelical anymore. You're not a Christian anymore. Believe what God has done in you. Not just for you, but in you. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that you would do good works. Now, why do we need to be born again? I was driving in the Walmart parking lot the other day, and it's really fun to look at the bumper stickers as you're driving through places like that, well, Bloomington in in general. But in the Walmart parking lot, you get everything. And I saw this, this bumper sticker that said, born okay the first time. It took me a second. What does that mean? Then I realized what it mean, meant. I don't need to be born again. I was born okay the first time. Right? That's what it had to mean, right? Well, that's another lie. I'm okay, you're okay. Well, at least I know I'm okay. No. Jesus said, You must be born again. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, that's him, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. We must be born again because we are not born okay the first time. We are born dead. Dead to God, dead to righteousness. We are born as darkness lovers. And no man-made religion, no personal reformation, no self-made renovation can ever change that. Think about Nicodemus. What kind of man is Nicodemus? He's a religious leader. He's respectable. He's polite. He's clean. Probably comes from a very good family. Raised in the covenant. He's even interested in knowing Jesus. But what does Jesus say to him right off the bat? Cuts cuts away all the crud and says, 
you must be born again. You must be born again. And that's why all these passages I've already read to you say what they say about us. We have a heart of stone. We're dead to God. We're slaves to sin and bondage to the domain of darkness and loving it that way. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved of various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's us. That's how we come. That's why Jesus said you can't even see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it unless you're born again. And so how? How do you experience the new birth? By being baptized? By eating the Lord's Supper? By being born into a Christian home? It just happens automatically to you? No. Jesus told us in John 3, He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus. Well, how? How do I do that? How can I believe in him? You can believe in him as you hear his word. Faith comes when you hear his word. 1 Peter 1, 23 says this, you have been born again. You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. You've been born again through the word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you and that's why you were born again. The word of God. Hearing the word of God. Hearing the preaching of the word of God. That's how you'll be born again. That's how your neighbors will be born again. That's how your children will be born again. Resist the the urge to pry into the mysteries of God. You must be born again. You must be acted upon. You must be born again by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, believe. 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 Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. How does that work? Don't worry about it. Believe. Believe. How do I have faith? Hear the word of God and believe it. Now listen. I know that there are some here who have not been born again. You're Nicodemus. Clean. Polite, outwardly righteous, religious. You're here at a church conference. Maybe it's because your wife brought you or your dad. I don't know, but here you are. You, you must be born again. 
Look at your life. Look at the results of being born again. Do you see any of this? You must be born again. Unless you are born again, you will not even see the kingdom of God. Instead, you'll see the judgment of God. So come to Jesus Christ and live. Come to him. He is full of power, full of love. He is willing and able to save you from your sins. Come to him. Trust him. Don't wait another moment. This could be your last moment. Before you face God's righteous burning wrath against you and your sin. Come to him. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Don't presume. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted with your children. They must be born again. They must be born again. You must be born again. Call out to God. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Blow through here with your Holy Spirit. Give new life to us. Give new life to our children, to our neighbors, our family our nation, Lord, have mercy. Our only hope is to be born again. Give us encouragement, Lord, and strength and, and fortitude as we fight our sin. Let us fight it with the life that you've given us and the Holy Spirit that you've given us. May we never fall into the deception that says, Sin is okay and sin's a good thing. Have mercy on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a production of Clear Note Press. Please feel free to share this recording with others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more resources like this, go to clearnotefellowship.org.